Welcome to the Best of MBS podcast, a collection of the best interviews hosted by Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. Today's interview is from The Coaching Habit podcast. Here's your host, MBS. Yes, this is The Coaching Habit podcast. Yes, I am Michael Bungay-Stanier. Yes, I have an awesome guest for you today. It is Mark C. Thompson. Uh, if you have followed the world of entrepreneurialism, of keynote speaking, of the work that I've been lucky enough to be associated with, with the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches, you may know Mark Thompson. But if you don't, let me introduce some of his cool background. He is and was the founder of Sir Richard Branson's Entrepreneurship Centers and acted as an advisor to Virgin Unite Entrepreneurs. He was part of Schwab.com and ran Schwab.com in the kind of, if you like, the early days of the internet where there was basically Amazon and, I don't know, Schwab.com and maybe four other websites. Um, he is a founding advisor to the Stanford Real-Time Venture Design Lab, is a visiting scholar at his alma mater, Stanford University, and has been a faculty at the World Economic Forum and World Business Forum, a member of the Clinton Initiative, and this is something else that he and I share in common, is as an executive coach for TED Fellows as well. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an executive coach, a venture capitalist. How lucky are we to have Mark as a guest today? So, Mark, welcome. Well, it's so great to be here, and you really inspire so many people that you touch, Michael. I think that as people listen to this podcast and as they've had the opportunity or privilege to listen to you on stage, you're making a, a big impact on people's lives. So thank you for doing the work that you've, you've come to be called to. And as, as you'll hear, I primarily brought Mark along to make me feel good. But we're also going to find out ways about Mark is having impact in the world. So, Mark, you've had a really interesting journey, um, touched many different things, been on the cutting edge of lots of different things. But now, in 2017, 2018, you know, kind of what's the focus of your work these days? What impact are you seeking to have? Well, I'm finding that everyone is going through this huge, swirling period of change in their personal lives and their professional lives. I mean, do you know anybody who's kind of doing business as usual? I don't know anybody. <laughs> right. I don't even know uh, what not, I don't know what business as usual even is anymore. Exactly, right? It's a, it, it, anyone here not going through any sort of remarkable change at the office? Has anybody not been facing maybe even a crucible or an existential crisis or right. or something that's really changing the game? And I've been excited to be on the edge of that crazy world having been a part of how to Silicon Valley. I'm, I'm a Silicon Valley kid who saw this valley turn from orchards into a space program, and I've been on moon missions ever since. Mm. And it really kind of inspired me to think about how could we be the leaders of our own change? How could we drive change before it runs us over, right? Before right. It, it makes decisions for us. And that as coaches, you know, you and I, and those who've been really called to this idea of being able to empower others. I mean, the privilege we have is everybody listening to this program has got an expertise. They've got a, a role that they're playing in the world with their family, their community, and their office. And they're trying to find their way through change. They're trying to embrace those changes. And it's what we call in business, scale up the business quickly, grow right. their career. And I, you know, I found as a coach, you just can't scale a business any faster than you can scale yourself. So the journey that I've gone on has been to actually join the disruptors or be the disruptor rather than be the disrupted. I uh, started out in the valley watching the space program take off, and it's amazing how, you know, that's still considered one of the mother of all mission statements, right? Right. Put a person on the moon by the end of the decade. Really darn clear. And it, it's an approach that I use in my coaching to think through how to help people have their own 
mission statement, their own vision for the future. And so what I do is I help individuals and organizations find that mojo and, and find a way through this wild and wacky change environment. Mark, I love that phrase that you offered up, which is your, your organization can't scale any faster than you scale yourself. Tell me more about that. Yes. Well, what I found is that we have in our personal lives and in our professional lives and in the companies that we have, we're trying to grow quickly. We're trying to grow in circumstances of outrageous change. Uh, I remember having the opportunity to work with Chuck Schwab, Charles Schwab and company in the early days. And he was thinking about how can I bring a better deal, a fairer deal, a more ethical deal than we often would see on Wall Street. There's been certain uh, certain amount of controversy in that industry over the years. Right. No kidding. <laughs> and so he was one of the original disruptors. He basically said, can I create the most useful and ethical financial services firm? Can I touch people 24-7? In other words, be there when they need to be helped. Can I do that, touch them at home? Can I touch them at a line? Can I have a trusted person to go to? And so these were all ways that that company tried to scale. It wanted to grow by being able to be in a person's life and be a trusted colleague and partner in all the different ways that that customer wanted to do business with you. And, right. and yet the challenge always is how do we as individuals think about how to grow? How do we think about how to rise to the next level of what our vision might take us to? And so I've, I've been on this lifelong mission of talking to successful people about how they, they scaled up the work that they do and how they, how they found a, the mojo in themselves and found the inspiration to try to, to make a better life for themselves and others. Is the starting point for scaling yourself that kind of mi mission and vision piece? You've mentioned it a couple of times. Is that where you go to initially to help people see that or do you go somewhere else? Well, you know, I found that people will tend to set goals a little bit too soon, mm. that we will often set goals based on what we think we should do for ourselves, what our parents or our colleagues might have thought would be good for us, or what we grew up thinking was the appropriate thing to do. And so it's, it's easy to get kind of the goal set. And uh, when you're thinking about those New Year's resolutions, you know, how, how often do those work out for you? <laughs> yeah, like, on a good day, never. Yeah, you know, I, I can I can come up with a great list of those. And so one of the things is we realize in, in the work that I do is I help people start to think about what's actually worked for them in the past. How have they grown in the past? How do they how have they gotten scale uh, in the past? What what are the things that they've done that they're the proudest of that they've been able to actually get done and look at those as a way to to start to read the tea leaves for a better future. One of the things that we found with extremely high achievers, we interviewed people as, as diverse as Jeff Bezos and, and Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey, but also the Dalai Lama and, and other people who'd had huge impact in their field profession, uh, people who were artists, sports leaders, academic leaders, people in the sciences, Nobel laureates. And when we did that work for Success Built to Last, what we found is that they always focused on creating a life that matters. In other words, first taking a look at what has really mattered to you most about your greatest achievements or the moments that you're most proud of. Because usually when we're asked to, to look at our values and our goals, we put down a fairly politically correct list of things to do. Right, exactly. Like motherhood, apple pie, integrity. And you're yes. like, none of those, you can't argue against any of those. But yeah, no, I'm not in favor of any of those, right? right. <laughs> but, but my bet, and to your point is, almost never are those core values that really drive a sense of identity and vision yeah. and the impact that people are wanting to have in the world. Exactly. And so what happens is that the person who's setting the goals is not the person who does them. Oh, that's a great distinction. I love that. 
in the neuroscience of this, uh, it, it was often described as being left or right brain. Now, it turns out that we found that many great brain centers like Stanford looking at neuroscience is not just so easily distinguished between the left and right brain, but basically it's true. Mm -hmm. the, left brain, the left brain has a great sense of organization. It's the one that has the skills to write down that list of goals that you don't do and those values that don't really drive you. <laughs> I love that. But it has the power of language and the, and the right brain, which is the, has the power of behaviors and actions, is not fluent in its speaking capacity. And so it's not that we're necessarily lying to ourselves or others, it's just that we're asking the person who's not doing the work to do the work. And uh, so what we need to do is look first at what were those proudest moments? What were the things about those that mattered the most to you? We found when we looked globally at trying to find the definition of success among the world's highest achievers, we found that the secret to success was to find and create a life that matters to you, not necessarily to others, but that is uniquely firing up in three important capacities in your life. We found that everyone who had been successful for at least 20 years or more had three ways of defining success. And maybe I should just go through those quickly because it gives a little bit of a frame of reference. Yeah, perfect. I love that. I don't think you'll find any of them frightening, frighteningly different from what you've heard, but the definitions are actually quite specific. So a lot of people talk about having a compelling purpose, having passion, and then being focused on performance. But what we found is that high achievers define those three things entirely differently. They are unique and discrete drivers of high achievement and, and, and a sense of meaning in one's life. So purpose would be perhaps best characterized by being connected with something greater than ourselves. So mm -hmm. a community, a, a customer, a, a market, a way of life. It's something that we are a part of, but that we are not uh, only going to be benefiting from, that it is something you could describe even as your legacy. Nice. It would be a part of who you are but it's really about what we're doing together, that, right. that sense of purpose and, and defining that purpose. And it's something that goes forever. So it's not ever something that in a sense, like the second piece, which would be performance, it's never done. A purpose is never completely done. But performance, we found that all of the high achievers were also connected with a sense of high performance around delivering on their promises and setting expectations around what they're going to deliver uh, to the world and for themselves. And, and frankly, that most people who get engaged with something that's powerful for the long term will feel a sense of, of wanting to, you know, try to, to win at that. It's something that you feel like you want to do, that, that when, when you fail, you're resilient, that you, when you try this and aren't good at right. it the first time, you don't use it as an excuse not to continue. <laughs> and you can see how that connection between purpose and performance is a, it drives resilience because you know what you're trying to do, you know whether you're succeeding and failing. And you know that you're playing the bigger game, which allows you to go, it's worth getting back up off the floor and trying again. Right. And it's and, and one of the things I find in my coaching and one of the ways that I find that people get out of balance is when they index maybe one direction or the other too far. It's one of the things we talk about balance often being a, an equal distribution of maybe community, family and, and work. But that's not how we found high achievers really thought about balance in terms of what drives them, that they needed to make sure that they were always reconnecting with the why, the purpose, mm -hmm. what, how am I going to have larger impact? And then the sense of performance, well, that ought to be specific to the purpose rather than having to win at everything, right? which are things that you and I as coaches help coach people off the cliff on. <laughs> right, exactly. As Marshall would say, you know, you don't have to win at going which restaurant <laughs> or, or maybe how our spouse dresses tonight. Exactly, which is good because my spouse always wants to go to the same restaurant that she loves and I always lose that battle. So I've, I've learned it over time. 
and, and, and you've decided that you want to be with the spouse that you still love. Yeah, so, uh, exactly. Yes. That's exactly right. So what's the third element, Mark? Well, the third element is surprisingly not embedded in the other two fully, and it's passion. Hmm. So what we found was that there are those things that drive you that you care about, that you find yourself thinking about that aren't necessarily about winning or about a higher purpose. And I think sometimes one, that's the other thing that gets out of balance that drives us a little bit nuts is we think that's being selfish. We think that having this quiet time or this extroverted time, uh, that having this, this activity that just feeds us and not for any outward purpose or, or, or highfalutin cause or, or even mm. to put points on the board, uh, we found that high achievers had that also as a part of this three pillars of, of their equanimity and, and their happiness was that they, they were willing to pursue what we call a portfolio of passions. I think that's the other thing that often gets people out of balance. When you're trying to perform to deliver on a purpose, we often get obsessive about one thing and we have to, we have to work hard on it. But it's so critical to realize that there are other passions in your life mm -hmm. beyond that main obsession. And we found that oh, we almost never found a person who was just a one passion person. Right. That it's, it's important to find out what those are and to explore them and realizing that you get a whole dimension of, of healing and benefit from recognizing what those things are. It could be a half a dozen other things that you need that feed you, that need to be built into your schedule, that need to be a part of your life. And for some people, that might be family or it might be going to dinner with your spouse or it might be playing cards or writing books, but to retake people through a process where they think about these three different dimensions of their life and apply them to the, what's next in their life. And if you can write a book about playing cards with your spouse, then you've got all three knocked off in a single thing, which is perfect. <laughs> exactly. And that's where we found, actually, your point is right on because we were really fascinated with what created super success or this high achievement for a 20-year period. And we found it's when all three are clicking nice. that it's when it's hard to distinguish between the why or the purpose and the passion and the performance, that's when you get the great actor or the Nobel laureate who's, uh, or you get the Jane Goodall who is willing to sit with the chimps in the wilderness for endless hours to understand every nuance of their humanity. And because that was as much a passion as it was the way she wanted to serve the world and the way that she wanted to win at communicating that the ecosystem and that these mm -hmm. prime were our, our nearest brothers. We saw this over and over again with this, that we're all three were driving their life and that they, that people would have a, a portfolio of passions. I saw this with Richard Branson has a big portfolio, right? You see someone like Oprah who has actually a rather large uh, portfolio of passions. It has to do with serving the world, has to do with, you know, showing that that a way of life or a way of thinking should be popular, so she works for popularity, but then she knows how to feed herself from a, from a sense of passion. I love it. Mark, let me shift the focus away from this wonderful model and tools and shine the spotlight on you because one of the things that I hypothesize about people who have got to a certain point is that they've been kind of crossroad moments in their lives, moments where they've come and they've made a decision to go left or go right, go this way, to say no to this, to say yes to that, that's made all the difference. And I'm always curious to know what those critical moments are, those peak moments. So for you, as you think back on your interesting and varied career, have there been any kind of crossroad moments that have really shaped the journey you've been on and the person you've become? Many times. I think that we find that if you can explore both the, the pain and the passion that you have, it can be a huge 
unlock. I mean, for both Bonita, my wife, who's also my co-author and, and a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton, she does work on career strategy. And I, being based at, at Stanford, have been focused really on this, how do you scale yourself and scale an organization? And where, where we've come together was that in each of our lives, we had a moment where there was this this crucible or, or this this threat that we realized helped us identify a deeper sense of passion and purpose. For me, my father wasn't around in my late teens, and I had to really support a family and uh, work as a janitor at night, go to public school during the day, and uh, help keep a roof over our heads. And that's a long story, but the, the short of it was I realized that we, as individuals, would have to come to our own rescue. It gave me this fascination with the fact that we have to start with what we believe in and realize how we can connect with others and serve serve the world and and sometimes that's best identified from when you feel that what's most important to you is threatened. And right. so I went on, I, when I went on a journey to, when I read, wrote my first book, Success Built to Last, the reason I was crazy about this idea of lasting success, not short-term success, and meaningful success, not not superficial success, is because I'd just been hurt too much. I, I wanted success that lasted 10 years, 20 years. Right. I wanted to have a sense of passion, purpose that would last a lifetime. And I didn't want to settle for anything less. That, that, was a, that, that was a transformational moment for my, my for Benita, her, her brother, her older brother died at 21. Mm. He was a kid who, as a teen, was already biking to NASA uh, here in Silicon Valley and a savant, a genius. And for her, the, the biggest cost there, in addition to just being a family member, was just all the incredible contribution that was lost uh, because he couldn't continue to serve a full life. And so we both became very much uh, committed to this idea of how could we create a sense of meaning and success for ourselves and those around us that was lasting? How could we create a, a life that matters? And I'm, I'm you know, confident that's how we both end up being coaches. I love that. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. I appreciate it. Um, now, again, is another hypothesis of mine that at a certain point, it's not that we need to keep learning new things, but in some ways what we need to do is keep learning the same damn lesson over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, as I've got a little older and maybe allegedly a little wiser, and, and I look at myself, I go, gosh, I've got a few patterns that just keep playing out. And I master one version of that pattern and it just shows up in a slightly different way. Um, and that's my work, you know, is to keep working on that, whatever it might be. So I'm curious for you, you know, as you've created success that lasts, what's the hard lesson you've had to learn along the way, or maybe the hard lesson you keep having to learn? I think that the most important uh, lesson when I think long-term about finding success and meaning has been to realize that it, that we share a human experience with others uh, that allows us to get really fed by serving people. That if you want to find yourself, serve others. Mm -hmm. If you want to find yourself, look at those things that you find yourself daydreaming about uh, and, and that you find yourself returning to. When, when we were trying to, one, one of the things to, to check in with yourself on is whether you really are finding a sense of purpose, passion, and something that you can make progress at. One of the things that makes us terribly frustrated is when we don't feel like we're making progress. And it might be progress that's self-determined, uh, but if you can feel like you've made a little bit of progress each day, I think that's probably the one of the things that helps us feel connected and makes it feel like it's worth showing up uh, for what we do. 
And, and then finally, I'd, I'd say that this idea of service, there's nothing that feeds you more than getting that feedback, as you mentioned earlier, about yeah. someone listening to your podcast and there was a shred of an insight. <laughs> right. I met Maya Angelou uh, years ago when I was doing the, my original interviews. I went out to her home uh, and uh, met her and you know, didn't realize she was a six foot tall, beautiful Amazon. I met her when she was 75, had this deep, rich voice that you could hear from outside the house. <laughs> when I wow. was um, this this incredible spirit, and and she talked about how you know we're been giving all these incredible senses, uh, the the sense of feeling and smell, and and deeper senses of being able to love, and and she said that if we decide to do anything short of just living full out, that's it's almost like we're we're not thankful to our creator, you know, not thankful for. The, the life that we have uh, and that the best thing that the most grateful thing we could do for the life that we've been given is to, to serve others and to live life full out. Yeah. And it's always easy to forget that because you get in the weeds, right? You get tactical, right? You get cheap, you get uh, superficial, you get, you're annoyed about going to that same restaurant again. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And then, I mean, somebody to put this a different way to me, which is like, you're dead a lot longer than you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. got to make the most of it. Whether you believe in a higher power or not, this is your one and precious life. So how do we make the most of that while we're here? Exactly. That has been, I think, the biggest uh, thing to realize that when I had a journey where I went out because I had had trauma in my early life, went out to try to meet people who had been achieving lasting success. And, and I would always hungrily go ask. I remember sitting with Jeff Bezos. This is at the turn of the century. This is in the 90s when he was just having his initial frustrating successes at Amazon right. before he started consuming the world. <laughs> and I said, so, you know, what's your secret success? And he, he looked at me and he says, you just don't get it, do you? You just, you can't, you don't achieve success by copying uh, or just trying to mirror the artifacts of somebody else's life, that we have to live our own lives, that the biggest challenge is figuring out you, figuring out what drives you, what, what, what you are passionate about, what, what you do like to win at, uh, what, what has hurt you most in your life that you could turn into the, a, a sense of higher purpose um, that that you that you want to serve. Mm. That's the big challenge: is not trying to copy others. That's going to be endless envy and disappointment. And that's you know we see a lot of that around us. And and seeking a silver bullet that doesn't exist. I mean, I remember hearing Seth Godin talking, being asked, you know, when you write your book, Seth, what pens and paper or technology do you use? And he's like you know what, I'm not going to tell you because it just doesn't matter. It's like you write, if you're creating, you use the tools that help you create. And whether I use a pencil or a pen or a yellow pad or a pink pad, who cares? It's like, find your path. Don't think my path is your path. And that's what you're pointing to. Right, right. I think we don't probably spend enough time trying to unpack what that means. And and uh, as, as people think about having an, an opportunity to live a full life, you know, what, what made us what was the most satisfying thing you've ever done in the past? You know, what, what has, what was the most terrible moment you ever had in the past and why was it terrible? And people will look at me strange when I'll say that saying, well, it should be obvious. Well, but what value was violated that you can now serve? What was about that, that you now could lean into? Cause it can both the, the hard points and, and the gifts in our lives can be used as a direction to, to find out what matters to us most. So, Mark, for people who want to lean into your work to find out more about who you are, what you do in this world, because it's been a great conversation, but I bet it's just wet people's appetite. Where can they find out about you? A website, a, a Twitter, whatever, wherever you want to point them to. Sure. Well, 
there I've done three major books that that might be of interest for the range of the conversation that we've had. Mm. And they can be found at my my website, which is just my full name, markcthompson.com. And on those that you'll see work around three areas. One of them we talked about today was success built to last, creating a life that matters, which is the journey of of high achievers and and what we can learn about ourselves uh, from the ability to have a life that is filled with meaning and, and a sense of purpose. I also did a book that just helped people figure out how to run a business. Right. And having been, uh, and I realize this is a public podcast, but please forgive me business schools, but there's a, uh, there's a way to do this other than going to business school. You can read now, build a great business. Brian Tracy, the uh, entrepreneurial thought leader in myself wrote that book. Brilliant. And it's seven chapters to help people think about how to, uh, how to, serve others uh, through a business that rocks. And then the most recently, I wrote a book called Admired, which we were looking at how people who have been able to build value into their lives and are admired by others, how do brands and people go about doing that? So we reverse engineered the Gallup poll of most admired people and Fortune Magazine's most admired companies and came up with a, a wonderful short list uh, of ways that you can make sure that you're valued, admired, and respected for, for what you do. Wow. You know, I know the first two books. I don't know that third book, so I'm going to look to track them down. So that's great. And uh, markcthompson.com, and that's Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Right, M-A-R-K-C-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Michael. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for your great work. We hope you enjoyed this Best of MBS interview. Want more great content? Head to mbs.works. There you'll find MBS's new podcast, Two Pages. You can learn about his best-selling books, and you can join the newsletter. That's mbs.works.